Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you're here. This Sunday, we heard from Pastor McLaughlin as he preached a powerful and convicting message titled, The Conductor. Is there anything in your life right now that would keep you from heaven? Have you reached out to those around you to join you on this journey? These are difficult questions to consider, but there is so much peace found on our knees. We hope you are encouraged by this episode. But will he break it? Reminds me of the other night when we went to the summit, you know, North Texas District Camp Meeting. My wife and I got out of the vehicle and we were walking into the service and there was this little boy with his mom and he he picked up a little stick, just a little stick, and he was being a boy. I mean, I, I was really entertained by him. I was having fun out there watching him. And he took this stick, and he'd, he'd take a few steps, and it's like his mind was thinking about something. He'd take a few steps, and he'd take that stick, and he'd go, pop, and he'd just break it. And he'd look at that thing and throw it down. And he walked a little bit further, and he picked up this little stick, this little bitty stick. And he, it's like he was just, I don't know, he was after something. And he'd take a few steps, and he'd go, He'd break it. Easy to break. Could you imagine if he took a massive tree? Listen, with God, it doesn't matter whether it's a stick or a forest. He can break anything. You try it on your own and it's not going to happen. But when you step into his power and you step into his authority, forests are like little toothpicks. He'll break it. Somebody right now that's walking in the will of God, you've been fighting some things for quite some time. And I'm just telling you, you've tried to fight in your flesh and your flesh, you've you've almost injured yourself trying to break some things. You're in pain right now in this service because you've tried to do it in the flesh. And the longer you've tried to do it in the flesh, the more difficult it has become. If you'll just surrender the battle and turn it over to the Lord, I promise he'll take that issue and break it over his knee. He'll throw it to the ground and say, I would have done this a long time ago. Can we clap our hands? I feel like God wants to break something in somebody's life. You don't have to fight anymore. The battle's over. He's already won. Can we give it to him? Can we let him break it? You know what happened when you gave it to God? God started breaking things in the family. I got a testimony. I got a testimony recently from a family in our church. And they told me, said, Pastor, said things with with our extended family are healed like they've never been healed. 
said things that have happened, God has healed certain things. They had been fighting for years, but when the Lord took it, when they let go and the Lord took it, he'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. Somebody needs to get in the will of God. Somebody needs to quit trying to fight it in the flesh and get in the will of God and let God handle it. He knows how to do it. He knows how to break those things. He knows how to heal where healing is needed. Amen. So I'm so thankful to be in the house of the Lord. To all of our guests and all of our visitors, welcome to Calvary Pentecostal Church. Thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord with us today. We give each one of you honor and, and thank you. And to all of those who are visiting more than once, thank you for being here today. Uh, we pray that you will be highly blessed of the Lord. And now we're going into the word of the Lord. And I want to turn your attention to the book of Revelation chapter 18. The book of Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. When you found that, please say amen. amen. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. <clears throat> this Revelation chapter 18 is right at the conclusion of the seven-year tribulation period. And it is preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ and the 1,000-year millennial reign. This is where we're picking up in context. If you want to know about the seven years of tribulation, you can begin reading in Revelation chapter 6, and you can work all the way through Revelation chapter 18, and that will describe in detail all the events that will occur in the seven years, literal seven years of tribulation. If you want to know what's going to occur, in the millennial reign, you're going to have to study the Old Testament, you're going to have to study the book of Daniel, you're going to have to study the Gospels, and you're going to have to study the book of Revelation. And however, we do get a little insight in Revelation chapter 19 forward into what will occur in the millennial reign, and then that will come to a conclusion with what's called the Battle of Gog and Magog that will then culminate the Great White Throne Judgment. All we're picking up in right now is the end of the tribulation. I'm not necessarily teaching extensively or detailed about that, but I do want to draw some parallels from it, and then that may be the segue into some teaching on Wednesday night on some end-time events. Revelation chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. And these things, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying Babylon the great is fallen is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons of demons a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. The King James Version says hateful bird. I want you, I'm going to read that passage again and I want you to think about our current culture. 
I'm not saying that we are here by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I'm saying we're not here right now. But I do want you to think about the spirit of lawlessness that has been released in our world. You will see different regions of our nation and different regions of our world that are more intense than other regions. I have some assumptions and speculations as to why. Um, basically, though, it would enter into more conservative Christian approaches, Judeo-Christian approaches, and that becomes a restraining force. Because when you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, you see that he who now letteth will let, um, that is the church. And the church possesses a restraining force, a microcosm or a real small picture or snapshot of that would be Calvary Pentecostal Church. Because you are full of the Holy Ghost and because you are walking in a lifestyle of holiness, there is literally a restraining force in this church. What that means, what that should mean, is that anyone who is in sin should not feel comfortable in the church. Because there is such a powerful restraining force, restraining, pushing sin back while at the same time preserving a spirit of holiness. The church, full of the Holy Ghost, should restrain evil and preserve the holiness of God at the same time. When you take that microcot, when you take one local church and you spread apostolic churches all over the nation, there should be a national restraining force that says iniquity and evil, you are not coming into this congregation. You can come in, but you're going to have to repent. We're not going to cater to that spirit. Well, you can go ahead and clap your hands and help me preach right now. We're not going to let that live on the pew. You're not going to feel comfortable in a homosexual lifestyle. We love you, but the Bible speaks against that sin, and there's a restraining power in the Holy Ghost that will set you free from that kind of sin. This is the restraining power of God. So, so now watch this. Look at it. Look, just think about the world today. Think about the restraining or the power of the Holy Ghost being moved not out of the world, but out of the way. Okay, so it's moved out of the way because the church is raptured at this time. It's not even in existence. It's in heaven at the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb at this time. Look at what's going on in the world. Listen to this. This angel comes with great authority, illuminating the earth. At this point, church has been raptured. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the Great, this is the world system led by the Antichrist and the false prophet, is fallen, is fallen, and has become, this is the earth, a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit. You think it's bad now and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all of the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Fornication, this, this is immorality with the world system. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, so world leaders are committing this fornication with this spirit. 
And the merchants of the earth, this is merchandise, this is trading, this is money, this is these are finances and financial systems. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Just because Babylon is bad doesn't mean Babylon won't be wealthy. Don't get caught up in wealth. Get caught up in holiness. Don't mistake godliness with wealth. Well, if you're godly, you're going to be wealthy. Be careful. You may be falling into the trap of an antichrist spirit. Because if you're pursuing wealth at the divorcement or the absence of holiness, you're going to compromise your doctrine. Because you think that godliness is leading to wealth. Godliness leads to holiness. You with me? Verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, and this will be my whole message, come out of her. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Watch this. This, this is serious. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for that spirit. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. In the same measure, give her torment and give her sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and I am no widow. I will not see sorrow. Therefore... Her plagues will come in one day. What are the plagues? Death, mourning, and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. That's heavy. Where are you going? Are you really saved today? If you're not saved, you could experience this. If you're saved, you'll be raptured out. The church will not experience this. And I do believe, I'll teach different perspectives, but I personally believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I understand that there are at least four different perspectives biblically. I understand that. I know what each one of them are. I know the weaknesses and strengths of each one of those. In studying all of those, I still prefer to take a pre-tribulation position. I'm not saying you have to take that position. I'm saying I take that position. I believe that after Revelation chapter 4, the church is gone. I believe Revelation chapter 6 through 18, great tribulation. If you miss the rapture, if you miss the rapture and you remain alive, you will experience, possibly experience some of this. Do you know for sure that you are saved, born again of water and spirit? And if that trumpet sounds, you will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. If you aren't or you're backslidden right now, you've committed some sin and you're on the church pew, but you know you've got sin in your life. 
You, the lawlessness that we're experiencing culture today pales in comparison to the whole earth being a place of demons and a prison for every foul spirit. You think transgenderism is bulldozing through your world right now. You let the church be raptured out and the restraining force being taken out of the way, not out of the whole world, but out of the way. Every evil imaginable will be unleashed on this world. If there's ever been a time for you to be on fire for Jesus Christ, right now is the time to be on fire for Jesus Christ. I wouldn't miss a Wednesday night. I wouldn't miss a Sunday. I wouldn't let a spirit of lukewarmness get in me, a backslidden, don't let offense, don't let bitterness, don't let hatred get inside of you. Make up your mind to set your soul on fire. You've got to be saved. You've got to make it in the rapture of the church. Can we clap our hands to the Lord? Can we clap our hands to the Lord? God of heaven, let this church be raptured out. God, let Calvary Pentecostal Church and every saint of God and every family member, all of the married couples, the single parent homes, the children, let every one of us be ready for the rapture, Lord, and let us be raptured out in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want to speak to you from, from this subject today, the conductor, the conductor. Can we pray before you're seated? Spirit of God, have your way today. Oh God, let our souls be ready to meet you. In the name of Jesus, would you help me pray, church? Would you help me pray, every saint of God? Come on, young people. Come on, young people. There's no time to be playing with God. There's no time to be looking for loopholes in holiness. In the name that is above every name. Oh God of heaven, I love you. I praise you, Lord. Thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you for standing in honor of the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 1 through 3, John saw the destruction of spiritual Babylon. Spiritual Babylon, the world system organized by what is commonly called the beast or the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. And an angel makes an announcement. An angel makes an announcement. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. This is a, a dramatic effect by the writer of John. The Holy Spirit inspired him, moved upon him to write, not just Babylon is fallen, but Babylon is fallen, is fallen. This announcement is made, and many believe that it is a dual judgment. 
They believe that it's a dual judgment, one on the mystery Babylon or ecclesiastical or the church or the spiritual Babylon in Revelation 17, and then also the commercial or the economic system or the political system in Revelation 18. If you read and analyze Revelation 17, you're going to see this whore. You're going to see a harlot. You're going to see a false church. And you're going to see many people who have committed adultery or committed fornication with the spirit of harlotry. There is a spiritual adultery that's taking place in Revelation chapter 17. And this speaks of the mystery Babylon. This speaks of a fallenness dating all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Where man said let us build a tower moving forward to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And then the spiritual side of that that attacked one God message. That attacked the holiness of the Jews. That attacked anything that separated for the purpose of being sacred and a holy use for the Lord. So from Babel to Babylon to the spirit of Babylon that what they are opposed to is one God who is Jesus Christ. It was Yahweh in the Old Testament but Yahweh becomes Jesus in the New Testament. So whether it's Old Testament or New Testament there is an assault against one God. That means if you are a one God person you will be persecuted and you will undergo attack. Amen. We're going to find out what you really believe and we're going to find out what I really believe. I made up my mind when I got in the church 34 years ago I will die for this gospel. I am not compromising one God. There's only one way to be baptized and that is the one singular name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what spiritual Babylon says, that great whore. It doesn't matter what the world system says. It doesn't matter if you're going to lose money out of your pocketbook because you will not compromise and baptize any way they want you to baptize it doesn't matter if you lose people in the church and you lose money because of that if you stand up for holiness somewhere you got to not have a price tag on you you got to make up your mind this is just who I am I've come too far to turn around I'm not looking for a way out I'm not looking to compromise with the mystery of Babylon I'm not looking to compromise with with political or commercial Babylon I'm not looking to get rich in this world I'm looking to live holy in this world to lead people to Jesus Christ and for all of us to be raptured out of this world. Don't get caught up with this world system. And so we see this is fallen, is fallen. One speculation, one presentation is that the one in Revelation 17, and, and it makes sense to me, and I would embrace this, that there is the spiritual Babylon known as the harlot in Revelation 17. And then there is the political or the commercial Babylon in Revelation 18. This thought is amplified in Revelation 18 and 6 when God announces that Babylon will receive double for her sins, for her many sins. This judgment has come because the Babylonian system has polluted the whole world, Revelation 18 and John says. The system intoxicated the people of the world with all of the riches and the pleasures it had to offer. It catered to those who were lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. 
Can I say something to the ministry? Can I say something to preachers? Can I say something to those who are pursuing higher education and academics? Money comes along with that. Never allow money to be the end game. Amen. Let money be a tool that serves the kingdom of God, not build your own tower up to heaven. Get educated, make good money, get a nice car, get a nice house, but make sure that that money that God is putting in your hands, the spirit of Babylon doesn't get a hold of you and you're trying to build your own temple. You're trying to build your own church. You're trying to be your own pastor and you are a God unto yourself. If money does that to you, you better ask God to take money away from you. If you don't know how to control money and it possesses you and it has deity powers and you bow down at the altar of money, you better ask God the best way to get rid of that is to give to missions. The best way to get rid of that spirit is to give to a church plant. The best way to get rid of that is to give to the work of God. Can I get some help in this house? You don't become a preacher to make money. You become a preacher to reach the lost. You become a preacher to plant more churches. You become, I wish somebody would help me right now. Come on, Calvary Pentecostal Church. We must not be possessed, nor should we be intoxicated with spiritual Babylon or political Babylon. We are not the harlot. We're not the harlot church. We are the true living church. Can we give him praise right now? I'm telling you, some of you in your prayer life better wake up. Some of you 30, we're not praying like we need to be praying. I'm gonna ask you a question. Has Babylon already gotten a hold of you? I'm off my notes, but maybe I'm not off my notes. And maybe what God needs to say to you. Some of you that can't pray for five minutes before church, and it sounds like a Baptist church in here. Come on. Go ahead and shut down on your pastor. Go ahead and shut. Go ahead and get quiet on me. I don't want quietness at Calvary Pentecostal Church. You better set yourself on fire. We have not arrived, Calvary. You don't get to this close to the rapture and start backsliding. You don't get this close to the coming of the Lord and all of a sudden dry up and get cold. If you've ever been on fire, if you've ever had a prayer life, you're not all that. I'm not all that. This church is not all that. We better repent. If we're not careful, we'll claim to be Pentecostal in title, but we'll be Babylon in content. Somebody give it praise. Some of you need to shake that lukewarm spirit out of your spirit. You know good and well what I'm talking about. I'll be honest with you. I don't believe God is pleased with the way we're praying. That's not my whole message, so just be mature enough to read between the lines and correct it. But here's a big problem. Let's say we're talking about the stock market. Let's say we're talking about your retirement. Let's say we're talking about your investments. Let's say we're talking about the interest that you're accruing right now and what's going to happen when you retire when you're 65 or 70 and all the money you're going to have could it be that audibly you could talk for hours about that 
And as you're talking, all of a sudden, man, there's more passion coming out of you. And yeah, when I get there, I'm going to be able to do this and that and the other. Could it be that the promotion you got on your job and all of a sudden you can sit down and say, man, that car that I've always wanted to drive, that house that I've always wanted to live in, come to my house and let me show you what I did and what I got. And we can talk for hours and we don't have a problem saying, what are they talking about? We hear you talking about it. But when it comes to prayer, we don't know how good God has been to you because you won't talk about it. You're talking about other things during 30 minutes of prayer and it lets us know where your value system is. Can I get some help in this house right now? Is Babylon and a lawless spirit and a lukewarm spirit and a cold spirit trying to move into Calvary? Can I have some catalyst saints? Can I have some catalyst saints that will shake this thing up? Shake this thing up. Shake our youth group up. Shake our young adult group up. Shake our singles group up. But my God, don't backslide. God is not impressed with your paycheck. He gave it to you in the first place. God's not impressed with our house. He gave it to us. And he didn't give it to us for it to become an end unto itself. He gave it to us as a means to get to a desired end. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's to have new families over. Maybe God blessed you like that to teach Bible studies in that home. Oh, Babylon, Babylon, spirit of Babylon. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. And everyone that's committed fornication with you, spirit, go ahead. Mix it up against the church. Mix it up. Mix it up against the Jews. The church will be raptured. I, I recognize where I'm at contextually. Stir it up. God's saying, okay, while you're stirring it up, we're going to stir up double and render back to you double. Why in the world would you want to yoke up with Babylon when Babylon is going to receive double judgment from God and that spirit of whoredom is going to be burned up by the Lord who is great? I'm casting my lot with the church. I'm jumping into the church today more than I've ever been in the church. 34 years of living for God, I've never been more excited about living for God. 34 years of getting in the church, I've never been more excited about being in the house of God. I'm not bowing my head and tucking my head because I'm living holy to the Lord because God has produced a spirit of holiness in our lives. Quit making apologies for being modest. Quit trying to make excuses for living separated. God's coming back for you. God's coming back for a modest, holy church. We're not apologizing. We're not making up excuses. We're not the ones living wrong. 
You're not the one that needs to apologize like you've done something wrong. The spirit of the world's trying to make you feel like you're doing something wrong. Stand up like you've never taken a stand. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her. Come out of her, my people. Lest you share in her sins. And lest you receive her plagues. Well, if the church is gone, who is that? It's the Jews and the tribulation saints. For her sins have reached heaven. Sounds like the Tower of Babel. Building a tower of sin. Building a tower of sin. Building a tower of sin. Isn't that what the spirit of Babylon is doing right now? Let's build it with pronouns. Let's build it with transgenderism. Let's build it with deconstructionism. Let's just mesh all of the world religions up together. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Christianity, Christianity is at a place right now where they're trying to appease every other world religion. And at the same time, other world religions are not appeasing Christianity. Every world religion has, have lines of distinction and non-negotiables. They're not compromising. They're non-negotiables. That's why people in the Islamic faith, uh, that's why they look and they say, Christianity is confusing to us because you have more than one God. And we always believe that there's only one God. Well, Christianity, New Testament Christianity, did not have more than one God. Christianity in the Bible only has one God. Christianity came out of Judaism. So you can't become a Christian and have more than one God and say that you have the right kind of origin. We did not come from the third century. We came from the Old Testament. We're here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Somebody give him praise. The church is from the seed of Abraham that only believes in one God. Somebody give him praise in this house. We're faithful to him. We're loyal to him. We're loyal to this truth. The angel or the messenger cries, come out of her. You listen to me. You don't want a church and you don't want a preacher in your life that's saying, go ahead, go into her and do whatever you want to out in the world. If the messenger from heaven, the messenger of this angel, is crying against the spirit of Babylon, come out of her, come out of her. Don't be poisoned by her sins and intoxicated by her financial power. You and I need a preacher in our life. We need saints on the pew that will say, come out of her. Don't find a little pocket of sin in the church. Don't find a little compromising saint of God that's ready to backslide tomorrow. And all of a sudden you yoke yourself up with that person that's already on their way to hell. You got to make up your mind to come out. You got to make up your mind to come out. You'll find them in every church. You'll find them in every church. You got to make up your mind to not look for the negative in the church. You got to make up your mind to look for people who are on fire for Jesus Christ. And you yoke up with those people in that church. And you say, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Don't even touch it. 
Don't even touch the unclean things. And he said, then I'll receive you. So yes, it's conditional. It's not once saved, always saved. There's a conditional clause that said, you touch it, I don't receive you. You touch it, you don't touch it, I'll receive you unto myself. You'll be my children, you'll be my sons, and I'll be a father to you. Angel cries. This is why the early apostles, listen, the, the angel and the early apostles both together are like a conductor taking tribulation saints out and into. And this is why the early apostles were adamant about planting churches, winning souls, reaching the lost, and leading souls out of sinful slavery into freedom with Jesus Christ. This is why churches have how to teach a Bible study on Sunday mornings. This is why churches have altar working. This is why churches are not just saying this is how you teach a Bible study. This is why churches are actually teaching Bible studies. Listen, if the first century church did this and they were evangelistic in their approach and they were a disciple making church, then the 21st century must not be intoxicated with Babylon. God, somebody help me preach right now. Come on, don't let two congregations coexist in one church. Don't be the dead church and you be the live church. Don't let four congregations coexist. You know, section A's got this mood. Section B's got this mood. Section C's got this mood. Section D's got this mood. The ones in the front have this mood. The ones in the back have this mood. Somewhere we better all come together, ladies and gentlemen. It's, you can't have a dichotomous, you cannot have a divided church and be ready for the rapture. We need a church ready for the rapture. Come on, somebody, you gotta shake yourself out of that coldness. You gotta shake yourself out of that dryness. You gotta shake yourself out of that worldliness. And let there be a holy fire that baptizes you all over again. Man, if I work overtime, I'll get a bigger paycheck. I'll make more money. I'll be more peaceful, more comfortable. What if you lose your soul over it? Maybe it's not about how much money we're making. It's maybe it's about how we manage the money that we do have. Or somebody that's making $40,000 a year can have more money than somebody that makes $200,000 a year because they know how to manage the $40,000 and the one making two hundred doesn't know how to manage that money. That was free. That was free. Listen, every era and every time has people who take on the role of the conductor. Conductors, conductors take people from a place they need to escape into a place they never thought they could go. My message today is the conductor. One of history's heroes known as the conductor, Harriet Ross Tubman, was enslaved, escaped, and helped others gain their freedom through the Underground Railroad. Tubman not only helped God out herself, but helped others, and she served as a scout, she served as a spy, she served as a soldier, and she served as a nurse for the Union Army during the Civil War. History was changed because of this woman who they called a conductor. Harriet's desire to take people from a place they needed to get out of 
to a place that they did not know they could go became apparent when she was only 12 years of age and she spotted someone about to throw a heavy weight at a fugitive. Harry stepped, Harriet stepped between them and the weight struck her head. She later described the pain and I quote, the weight broke my skull. They carried me to the house all bleeding and fainting. I had no bed, no place to lie down on at all. And they laid me on the seat of the loom and I stayed there all day and the next day. Plagued by her perpetual headaches and narcolepsy. Narcolepsy being a neurological disorder that involved decreased ability to reg regulate sleep and wake cycles. She would randomly fall asleep throughout the day. However, in spite of all of the pain, in spite of all of the trial, and in spite of all the affliction that that 12-year-old forward went through, she took on the nature of a conductor. She took on the nature of a mother who's deserved freedom. Their children deserve freedom. Known as the conductor, Harriet Ross Tubman was not content with her personal escape and freedom. She made some 13 missions to rescue approximately 70 enslaved people, including her family and her friends. She was the human instrument of God that God used in the underground railroad to help numerous others escape the cruel tyranny of slavery and enjoy the sweet fruits of sacrificial freedom. Like Harriet Ross Tubman, the church must be the conductor who you're not satisfied for being free from the slavery of sin bowed by yourself. You got a mission-minded attitude and you got a mission-minded spirit that said Babylon wants to kill the saints. The spirit of Babylon in this world system wants to take out the saints of God. But I've got to go teach a Bible study to somebody. I've got to find somebody broken, bound, and bruised. And I've got a hideout for them. I've got a place called the church. And if I can ever get them to this underground railroad called the church. Come on, Calvary Pentecostal Church. We need some conductors in this house. We need some Harriet Ross Tubmans in this house that said it's not about me. It's about helping other people escape pain so that they can get to a place of freedom. Woo! Come on, Calvary. You better thank God he set you free. Are there any conductors in the house? Anybody ready to reach a soul and say, come on, you can get out of there. I'll help you get out of there. We're better together. Yes. Easy. 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 For Tubman, who said, I've escaped. I've got headaches every day. I can't regulate my waking and sleeping cycles. I'm in pain all of the time. But something possessed her heart and said, I know how cruel it is. I know how painful it is. I know how dysfunctional it is. And their pain is worse than my pain. 
So if somehow I can just minimize my pain right now to go back and help them out of their pain right now. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've ever been in the face of addiction. Alcohol has ever ever been your, your master and you were a slave to alcohol and you were a slave to drug addiction and you were a slave. You would steal from your mother. You would steal from your father. You would steal from your own house and you would run down to the pawn shop so that you could get 20 or 25 bucks so that you could go buy a quarter gram of coke. And I know that was years ago. But you know what I'm talking about right now? Somewhere it so possessed you, this spirit so possessed you, but somebody walked into your life and said you can get out. Somebody walked into your life and said you don't have to live a slave to that anymore. Somebody walked into your life and said I want to introduce you to a man named Jesus. I want to introduce you to a church. Amen. You may, you may not be in heaven yet, but I got a holding place. I said, I got a holding place, and it's called the Apostolic Church. If you'll plant there, you'll be safe right there until you get your true escape. Some of you ex-drug addicts, you ought to be running the aisles right now. Some of you that came out of prison, some of you that were strung out, you ought to be giving God praise in this place right now. Woo! I'm free. I said I came out and I'm free. You ought to be the conductors of the church. You ought to be helping other people escape the pain of slavery.
the spirit and the nature of the conductor is trying to take hold of our church, and you feel that. When one speaks in an unknown tongue, there are two purposes. One is for the edification of oneself. The other is for the edification of the body. It's both and, not either or. Amen. You can have both and. We need edification of the individual, and that tongue can go forth publicly and doesn't necessarily need an interpretation if that edification is for the individual. But at the same time, we pray for, for interpretation for the edification of the body. But to say that we had no interpretation, therefore that tongue was wrong, is an inaccurate view of the text of the scripture. The scripture says that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. So you and I can speak in an unknown tongue loud or privately to ourselves, and we are edifying ourselves. We are building up and strengthening. You hear the the voice of that prayer and you feel strength coming out of that prayer you feel power coming out of that prayer I would to God that all of us like Paul said I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all I would to God that all of us would speak in tongues like that I would to God that some of you that haven't talked in tongues in 20 years would start talking in tongues in this place right now we need a tongue talking church we don't need to dumb down tongue talking in the church we better not water it down and dumb it down. We need to amp it up. We need to hit the accelerator with the gifts of the Spirit. We need more people talking in tongues out loud. It'll edify yourself. You'll build yourself up in the Holy Ghost. It'll keep you from falling. That's why the writer in the book of Jude said, praying in the Holy Ghost, building up your most holy faith <coughs> that will keep you from falling. <laughs> like Tubman the church is a conductor with a message <coughs> Romans 6, 6-9 says knowing this that our old man is crucified with him notice that the body of sin might be what? Hmm? That the body of sin might be done away with. That's the New King James Version. I like the way the KJV says it better. Said that the body of sin might be destroyed. He used the term destroyed. It's much more impactful and there's more emphasis in this term destroyed. Done away with and destroyed have the same Greek meaning. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's the message. He that is dead is freed from sin. Unless you die to that old nature, you're not free from sin. It's real simple. you got to come out of slavery if you're going to be alive in freedom. <laughs> Quit making it so difficult and complicated. It's that easy. you got to die out to that old nature, destroy that old man, and you become free in Jesus. Some of you are depressed. Some of you are miserable. Some of you are in pain. Some of you have drastic mood swings because you have a hybrid life. You're part alive and part dead, and you don't know who you are. you got to make up your mind today. I'm dying out to that old nature, and I am going to destroy the old man. I will destroy that life. Quit romancing that spirit. Quit going to the cemetery of your past and dancing with those old bones. Quit digging up those old ancient spirits and pulling them out of the grave and say one more drink, one more look, one more kiss, one more party. You got 
to destroy it. You got to destroy it. You got to destroy it. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, that was called the sin of necromancy, where they would go and they would conjure up the spirits of the old. They would actually, they would actually dig up the spirits. They would actually dig them up, and they, or they would go back and they would conjure up those old spirits, and it was necromancy. It was a sin. It was idolatry. Be careful that we don't commit spiritual necromancy. Huh? Huh? Come on, some of you partiers. You don't ever go back to the graveyard in your mind and go, man, well, I wonder what it would be like just to pop a top one more time. That's spiritual necromancy. You're sinning right there. You're sinning right there. So I can't stop these intrusive thoughts because it was, I was a pattern addictive individual. Okay, break the pattern. Break the pattern. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the power of the Holy Ghost that breaks the spirit of Babylon. you got to break that. Yes, the Holy Ghost can break that. And say, so how do I stay in a right pattern? When that thought comes into your mind, you repent right there. You don't wait till you get to church to repent. You repent. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know where that thought came from. Forgive me, Lord. I'm going to destroy that old man. I'm going to destroy that body of sin. Come on. We've got to make up a... You won't be able to help people out of their pain unless you're free yourself. What in the world possessed that woman to have 13 missions when you taste freedom? On this side, on this side, when you're in slavery and you say, when you get free, you're going to go back, you're going to rescue at least 70 people and you're going to have 13 missions trips and you're going to go back and get them. You say, uh-uh, if I get out of here, I'm never coming back again. But when you get on that side of freedom, when you get on this side of freedom, you become a missionary. <laughs> when you get on this side of freedom, you say, uh-uh, uh-uh, I know how good this feels right now. I know how good it feels to be free right now. Marijuana doesn't have any more power over me. Alcohol doesn't have, I've got to go find somebody that needs out. I've got to go find somebody that needs out, and you get them and you pull them out. You become a missionary that reaches back and pulls them forward. That's why you go to the penitentiary. That's why you go to the prisons. That's why you teach Bible studies. You know what freedom feels like. And when you know what freedom feels like, you can't stand the thought of somebody else living in the tyranny of spiritual slavery. Are you preach the way I'm preaching right now? You teach the way you teach right now. He said you were the servants of sin. It's the term doulos. It means swallowed up by the will of another and committed to doing his or her will. That means when you were the servants of sin, the servants of Satan, man, you did the will of Satan. Man, you did the will of Satan. You look for somebody to contaminate. You look for somebody that had never tasted liquor before. Oh, have a drink, baby. Come on. You just look, you just look to mess somebody's life up. You just look to mess somebody's life up. You were swallowed up by the will of sin, swallowed up by the will of Satan, swallowed up by the spirit of Babylon. And so he said, mm -mm, before getting on this train, before getting on this train, we got a conductor. 
And before getting on this train, there's got to be evidence that you have destroyed what's been destroying you. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. I am not a slave anymore. The master's over there, but I'm not under his power any longer. Devil, I defeated you 34 years ago. I repented of my sins. And when I repented and I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins, that master is still there, but I'm not his slave. You're not his slave. Come on, now we're conductors pulling other people out of the bondage of slavery. Woo! Somebody ought to be shouting to the Lord right now. Hallelujah! Destroyed. I have a question. Have you destroyed that body of sin? Well, I don't know. What does destroyed mean? Here's what it means, biblically. To render idle, unemployed. You fire them. They lost their job. Inoperative. To cause a person or a thing to have no further efficiency. To deprive of force. To deprive of influence, power, to cause, to cease, to put an end to, to do away with, to annul, to abolish, to cease, to pass away, to be done away. That's why the, the New King James Version says done away with. To be severed from, separated from, discharged from, loosed from any one. When you have destroyed that old man, you rendered that old nature idle, unemployed, inactive, inoperative. That means when you go to your device, nothing that comes across this device uh, has any active operative power over you. You rendered it dead. Can I get some help in this place right now? You don't go to YouTube and look at what's on the side of YouTube or underneath YouTube and it brings something alive inside of you. That has no more power over you because you destroyed that old man. You can't go back to that. Otherwise, you won't help other people get out of that. You're saved now. You're justified. You're sanctified. And you will be glorified. We're the conductors in the church. And we've been set free. It's inactive in my life anymore. You can't reboot it. It's not coming on again. It does nothing for me anymore. Listen. Some of you, please hear me. That spiritual amnesia that gets a hold of you after you've been in the church for a little while and you've been far enough removed. You know how it is, man. You hit your hand with a hammer and you say, man, I don't want to swing a hammer again. There's too much pain in that. But all of a sudden, you move on down the road, you forget the pain. So much pain in delivering a baby. You play tug of war when you're delivering a baby. Even dad says, I don't know if I want to do that again. That was, that was scary. <laughs> but when she looks in your eyes and you hold her 
all of a sudden you start forgetting all the pain that you went through to bring the beauty in your life. You got to listen to me right now. If you're not careful, when you first come out of sin, you remember the pain of that sin and you say, I'll never go back to that again. But when you get so far removed from it, all of a sudden spiritual amnesia sets in and you forget how painful that was. You forget how deceptive that was. You forget how abusive that was. Let me remind you and let me echo it from the heavens right now. Don't ever go back and don't let a spiritual amnesia set in on you and forget the pain you were in. Forget the lies and the deception. You don't remember what you told Liam. You don't remember what you told Matthew. You don't remember what you told Logan. And so you got three different lies going out to three different people. That man's got to be destroyed. You got to kill that man. What do we need to be saved from? Please hear me, teaching slash preaching right now. We need to be saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And the way that we do that is through salvation. And if salvation was an umbrella, there are three doctrinal terms that fall underneath the term salvation. So I'm going to do a little bit of teaching right now, maybe preaching. But think with me, so get that little button. You hit that button, that umbrella goes, and you got that umbrella, salvation. Underneath this umbrella word of salvation are three sub-terms. Justification, it's all under salvation. Sanctification, still under the umbrella. Glorification, still under the umbrella. I walk under the umbrella and protection of salvation, but salvation automatically justifies me, sanctified and continues to sanctify me, and one day will glorify me. Let me break it down for you. Let me break it down for you. Justification deals with your past. We need to be saved from the penalty of sin. Justification, here's what happens to you when you were saved. Justification means to be declared righteous, to be vindicated, or to be acquitted. I don't know how that makes you feel. But if you've ever been to court, if you've ever been in trouble with the law, if you've ever had a penalty come against you, and they say debt taken care of, you're justified, you are acquitted. We don't hold that against you anymore. When you got the Holy Ghost, you got justified. It deals with your past penalty. And the judge says, you're free. You're free. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Steve. It's hanging on your wall right now. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, when you and I got the Holy Ghost, when we came out, we were justified. And it freed us from the penalty of sin. We were declared righteous, not unrighteous. We were vindicated from everything we ever did wrong. And we were acquitted or we were excused. The judge became the Savior so that the Savior could justify us when we go to the judge. But Jesus said, I came out to judge the world, came to save the world, but ultimately at the judgment seat of Christ, he will judge through the word. 
judge became savior to save us so that when he resumes his role of judge, we come to him justified. We're not with the spirit of Babylon. We're not with the place of demons. We're not with the cage of the hateful birds. We are with him and he justified us from the penalty of sin. You are no longer a slave and sin is no longer your master. When you got the Holy Ghost, it took the blood, it took the spirit, it took the word, and it took the name. All of that justified you. The blood remits, the spirit regenerates, the word cleanses and instructs us, and the name gives you a brand new identity. That's not even you anymore. You are this new man in Jesus Christ. When old things are passed away, all things become new. We are justified by virtue of the blood, the spirit, the word, and the name. Justification is just as if. So if you don't know what just justification, just as if. Just if it, just as if. Just as if I had never sinned. Justification is a completed action. That means if there's ever condemnation, Brother Ben, if there's ever condemnation that comes to you, you need to know automatically this isn't coming from God right now. Because the work, that, the work of atonement at Calvary was just as if I had never sinned. So if it's attacking me, that's not God, that's the devil. And devil, I am going to defeat you and put you back in your place. I am no longer your slave. Get out of my mind, get out of my spirit, get out of my family, get out of my life, get out of my thinking. I rebuke you, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ is against you. The word of God is against you. The name of Jesus is against you. Come on. Come on, it's past. Your sin is past tense. You are justified. It is a completed action. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to prove anything. You have been set free. You're justified, vindicated, and acquitted. And this is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, then who are the unrighteous? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Fornication is the term porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. It primarily, fornication primarily means Sex before marriage. Is that too straight? Too straight of teaching? Let me just tell you something, moms and dads. You stick your head in the sand. I promise you, social media and the world, when they go to school, is teaching them what this is all about when they're about seven or eight years old. The church better wake up to some of these issues. And we better preach against fornication. And that begins with what you see, with what you hear, and with what runs through your mind. That's why you don't need a television in your home pumping that stuff in the house. Don't come and amen me right now and turn it on when you get home. You're living a hypocritical life and that's the fastest way to create bitterness inside of a child in a youth group. You gotta live at home what you're amening to the preacher right now. If fornication is wrong, 
in your life. It's wrong on television. It's wrong on your phone. It's wrong on your computer. It's wrong across the board. I don't care if they say it's entertainment. That entertainment will send you to hell. Besides, when you came out of that and you've been free from that and acquitted, why would you want to walk past the bloodline that washed you clean and say one more time, uh-uh, there's a bloodline and I'm not crossing over that bloodline. I don't want those spirits. I don't want the spirit of Babylon. I don't want this world. I want the holiness of God. I've been justified. I'm free. Look what he said. These people are not going to heaven, according to Paul. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. Go study that out on social drinking. Jesus. Wine. Well, Jesus turned water into wine. That was an intoxicated drink. Well, why would you? Why would he say you would go to hell over being a drunkard? Be careful. You need to analyze and you need to observe the religious world, and then and then typically. So, so you can learn if you live long enough. It, it works in in progressive stages. So, typically, the world, then the denominational world, then the apostolic or Pentecostal world. Normally, when compromise comes into the Pentecostal world, we're about 20 years behind because it just kind of trickles down, trickles down, trickles down. But in the process of all of that, there are things on the periphery that start dying away, dying away, dying away. Dying. And so what we used to identify with, now all of a sudden certain little, little, little changes are occurring. And so now you watch out, watch out for those little foxes that spoil the vine because then all of a sudden it's like, well, man, you can go out to work. And, you know, I mean, after all, if you're making a business deal and you're going to bring $500,000 into the corporation, a couple of social drinks is okay. <laughs> Care five thousand five hundred thousand dollars. You split hell wide open. It's not worth it. Nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. It does not matter how much society or culture says it's okay. The standard is God. And the standard is God's word. God does not come down to cultural standards to provide affirmation and validation to our sinful lifestyle. He calls us in Revelation 18 to come out and come up to his holy standard. That's why we have standards of holiness that don't make sense to the world. We're not looking for validation from the world. We are looking for validation and affirmation from a holy God who is the perfect standard of purity and righteousness. You and I are in a conforming process that we call sanctification. Can we give him praise right now? Can we give him praise right now? He justified me. It takes care of my past. But in my present sanctification, I'm not going back to my past. The power of the Holy Ghost keeps me holy. Look at what he says, Grant. Look at what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. I mean, all of us, man, somewhere down the road. But you were 
But you were. But you were. How were you justified? In the name of the Lord, in Jesus' name and by the Spirit of God. That is baptism and Holy Ghost infilling. It still takes the name of Jesus and the Spirit of Almighty God. you got to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Come on, conductors. Let's lead people out of slavery and into justification and sanctification. Sanctification, while justification deals with the past, sanctification deals with the present. We need to be saved from the power of sin. So, so here's where people backslide. They were justified, they got the Holy Ghost, God, it was a completed action, but they did not live a sanctified life, which is present holiness. It's being saved from the power of sin. We, we face the power of sin every day, all day. Sanctification means to be set apart to God and set apart from the world. It's not just coming out, it's also coming into. And this is where people get disillusioned. And this is, quite honestly, this is where a lot of people backslide because they come out, but they never come into something meaningful. They never find an eternal gift and an anointing that they can embrace and live out. And so they're just kind of on a pew and they're in between two worlds. I've been justified, but I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And because they don't give themselves to a divine purpose, all of a sudden the world starts looking good to them again. Because out in the world, at least they felt like they had some kind of purpose. So not a sanctification is not a list of holiness rules. Sanctification is a relationship a loving relationship with Jesus Christ who then gives gifts to men and then as he gives us the gift we are set apart from sin but set apart unto God for a special purpose. Sanctification is not being in bondage to anything. It is a present process. Sanctification is twofold. There is positional sanctification and there is progressive sanctification. Positionally, when you obeyed Acts 2.38, you were saved, you were justified, and you were sanctified. You were washed, according to Paul. But you are still fighting present sin in the, po the power of sin in this world. So positionally, you're saved. Positionally, you have the power to overcome sin in that old master. But every day you get up, you've got to progress aggressively go forward in a life of holiness. Amen. That's why in, in uh, Calvary Integration today, we were talking about Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, he shall stand in the presence of the Lord. And so sanctification or positional sanctification is right here. Boom. Progressive sanctification says God has dealt with my past sin. He's positioned me to live holy, but progressively I've got to be going up the holy mountain of God. Holiness is about a lifestyle of going higher. It's about direction more than it is a position. Boom. Six months into the church. Boom. A year into the church. 
boom, I've gone through take root. I've gone through Calvary integration. I've applied the scripture that's been taught on Wednesdays, taught on Sundays at 2 o'clock, taught at home, taught at 3.30, preached at 3.30. Boom, I am progressively becoming more holy. I am fighting against the power of sin in this world right now. And so I climb up. Who's more holy, the person that's on the first step coming up or the person who's up here going down? So we are progressing in sanctification. We do not want to digress in sanctification. Once you turn around on that mountain and you start digressing, you're backslidden right then. I don't care if your hair is longer. I don't care if your clothes are better than the new converts. That doesn't mean you're holier than them. In fact, if you're facing down, you're unholy at that point. And they are more holy than you are because they are progressing in their sanctification. They have been saved. They have been justified. They are being sanctified. And they are living a holy separated life. This happens when you come out of slavery and you walk into freedom in Jesus Christ. He didn't set us free to live any way we want to live. He set us free to live the way we ought to live. And this is why Paul said, Romans 6, 17, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being made then free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, this is all sanctification, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Did you get that? Only way to perfect holiness or to become more mature in your holiness is in the fear of God and to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of what? Flesh and. This can become a problem when you have it right on the outside, but you have it terribly wrong on the inside of your spirit. You are not cleansed and not progressively being sanctified. And finally, glorification. Justification deals with my past. Sanctification deals with my present. Justification addressed the penalty of sin and it's a completed action. Sanctification is dealing with the power of sin today. Penalty, power, glorification deals with the presence of sin. Can you imagine a world with no sin. The reason that you obeyed Acts 2.38 and you were saved. Remember the umbrella? And remember underneath this umbrella you were justified? You were acquitted, vindicated from all that penalty of sin? And now you're sanctified, which means that you're fighting sin today? That the power of sin you're overcoming? All of this, salvation, justification, sanctification... All is for the purpose of glorification. You're getting tired and I'm getting tired of fighting sin, the power of sin. But when we are glorified, which means that we're raptured out of here, we will step into a world in which the penalty of sin and the presence of sin and the power of sin are no more. We will be free from the total presence of sin. We will not be around sin any longer. Come on. I was saved, I was justified, I was sanctified, and I will be glorified. 
I live holy not because I'm Pentecostal, not because this is an apostolic lifestyle. I live holy because I'm a Bible-believing Christian and I believe the Word of God that sanctifies me and I believe that one day the Lord is coming back for His church and I will be glorified. That's why I say no to the world. That's why I say no to Babylon, the spirit of Babylon and the politics of Babylon. That's why I say yes to Jesus Christ because I'm waiting on that day that I'm glorified. Listen, glorification means we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. No more death, no more dying, no more crying, no more pain, no more thirst, and no more sin. No more sin. Those bouts with anger, those bouts with jealousy, those bouts with covetousness, those bouts with revenge, you won't ever, you won't even know what, you won't ever feel that again. You'll be completely emancipated from that. You'll be completely free from that. We'll be in a world that we won't even know what that feels like any longer. The presence of sin will not exist there. We'll be with him forever. Glorification is the final state of all believers who with transformed imperishable bodies will live in the presence of God forever. Glorification is a future condition. Past, present, future. Completed act, a process, a future condition. You have the power to be glorified inside of you through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that will be a future condition that when we get there, this is just a temporal holding place. It's the underground railroad. But we're going to get to glory land. And we need some conductors in the church. We need some conductors in the church that are willing to bring people to this place so we can get to that place. Yes. Stand with me. Stand with me. Listen. The great conductor. Man. Tubman. Paul. John. Peter. Calvary. Roy. Dwight, Kendra, Jeff, Kelly, Jamichael, Corey, Chaslin. I'm just rattling off. Just rattling off things. Just rattling it off. Conductors. Conductors. But the great conductor. The great conductor. Who's looking into our slavery and said, I am coming back for you. I am coming to get you. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Sounds like a conductor to me. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, or because of this, comfort one another with these words. I'm going to give you, in closing, I'm going to close a totally different way. And I'm going to give you some definitions here that you need to know. First of all, the rapture. It means the catching away of the saints. The church will be taken out of the world. And when the church is taken out of the world, the Antichrist and the false prophet will then unfold their program. You need to be in the rapture of the church. When you read in the Bible about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is a time of tribulation that follows the rapture of the church. God will pour out his wrath on the Antichrist, false prophet, and the world systems that align. And you will find this in Revelation 6 through Revelation 19. It is the mystery of Babylon, and it is the commercialism or politics of Babylon, Revelation 17 and 18. We're also going to see a falling away. A falling away, when you read of the falling away in the Bible, it speaks of a departure, a revolt, or a defection from the truth. There will be a great apostasy that will occur through the mystery of iniquity. Hold on one second, Mark. Hold on one second. I just want to make sure everybody gets these definitions clearly. The falling away is a great rebellion against God and His holiness. Please listen to your pastor right now. I understand where I am in eschatology right now. I understand where I am in the end time events right now. I understand contextually. Listen to me. Some people believe, some people fall into the category of idealists that they believe that Christianity will cr crystallize and it's a dominion now theology that the church will take over the world. That is not true. If that were true, we would not see the lawlessness on the world or in the world right now. That will happen in the millennial reign, but it will not happen prior to the seven years of tribulation. The falling away speaks of a departure, a revolt, and a defection. There will be a great apostasy that will occur through the mystery of iniquity. The falling away is a great rebellion against God. Think about it, God's authority. Look across our nation right now. Right now, while the church is still in the world and the restraining force is still in the world, look at, you know, defunding authority. Look at every school teacher in the public school system that is afraid to go to work because they are an authority figure. There is a spirit working in our world right now against all authority. All authority. Where is this coming from? What happens when the church is removed? And the Antichrist and the false prophet and this mystery of iniquity unleashes completely on this world. Mystery of iniquity. 
Mystery denotes something that's hidden for a specific time before God chooses to reveal it. Mystery. Iniquity is a complete lawlessness that will lead to a worldwide rebellion against God. The mystery of iniquity. The revealing of the lawlessness will coincide with the revealing of the Antichrist, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 12. I'm going to read it to you. You guys need to know what the future holds. It's not just about youth camps. It's not just about going to get a latte after church. This whole system is coming to a head. And you need to know why you come to church every church service. It's so much more than I got to go to church on Sunday and Wednesday and youth activity on Friday. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. This is the restraining force. This is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost inside the church. Until he be taken out of the way. Not out of the world, but out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. With all power and signs and lying wonders. Don't chase after miracles and signs. Chase after doctrine and holiness. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not a love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Final definition, so that you know when you're reading your Bible, when it speaks of the man of sin or the son of perdition, it will be a literal person known as the Antichrist who will perform miracles, signs, and lying wonders under the power of Satan. Once the rapture happens, once the rapture happens, and we don't know when the rapture is going to happen. You can't predict when the rapture is going to happen. The curtain will be pulled back. The man of sin, the Antichrist, will be revealed. And God's wrath will be poured out on the world. Culminating in the battle of Armageddon. And that will lead to the second coming of Christ. Are you ready? Like, are you really saved? Is there anything in your life right now that would keep you from the rapture should it happen in the next minute? If you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, if you have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit 
evidence by speaking with other tongues. I implore you to make it to this altar tonight. Please find your way to an altar tonight. Please find your way to a place. That's it, saints of God. Easy to run the aisles when the music's going. Easy to have it just right and have the tracks just right and the clicks just right till we're moving with the music. But what if we don't have any music and it's just pure spirit and conviction that's pulling you to an altar? Young people, do you know how to pray in a service like this? Do you know how to cry out? Do you need a crutch? Are you waiting on something to come your way to pump you up in the spirit? Or can we pray just like this? Stand today. Today stand the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Would you come and cry out to the Lord? Would you come and cry out to God? Oh, Spirit of God, have your way. It's okay to talk in tongues out loud. It's okay to pray in tongues like Dylan prayed in tongues a moment ago. We need more of that in the church. It may be that tongue talking that breaks you away from the spirit of Babylon. I don't want to be left to a place of demons. I don't want to be left to this house of perverted spirits. Come out from her. Come out from her. Oh, Alabayando, Alabayanda, Jesus. That's it, church. Let's intercede right now. As conductors, let's intercede and let's pull people out. Find somebody to pray with. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Oh, Holy God, have your way. Thank you so much for listening. As we allow the conductor to lead us, we can minister to his room.